This is the Press Box. I didn't know that. If you keep having me sign in and saying, are you a robot? I got to pick out like the stoplights. I got to pick out the freaking trees. I got to pick out all these crosswalks. I just want to know when my damn Dodger gear is on the way, all right? With Grainy and Bischoff. Passwords have passed. You've correctly guessed. But now it's time for the robot test. On ESPN Las Vegas. I don't know if I won any gear after this weekend. Oh, you avoided the sweep to the Phillies, yes, though. Did avoid it. Did avoid it. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, those happy times at the, the house with the Phillies. The most fun team to watch in baseball because their offense is good and their bullpen yeah. is atrocious yeah, they and they scored, can't hold a lead. They scored twelve runs a game, and you're worried that they might give up thirteen <laughs> if you're the Phillies. If you're Joe Girardi, you're like, wait a minute, here comes the bullpen. <laughs> they had two outs in the ninth, nobody on base, up by one. Yeah. And they lost the game like five pitches later. I want to say it's friend of the show, David Roth, that described the Phillies as, whoa, how many DHs can we have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what if we built the whole team out of DHs? Big rally started by my guy, Belly. <laughs> <laughs> Got his average back of over 200, didn't yeah, he? he's above 200 with the triple. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to get to, believe me. The first bite. The first bite is brought to you by the VGK Insiders on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Have the Raiders paid their electric bill yet? It's looking around here. There's a lot of lights on. <laughs> so we're good? good? We're good. One, two, three. There's like six lights in this place. There was a day I missed the power apparently went out. So maybe oh, we, that is true. Maybe well, we missed the payment too at one point. Yeah. So hey, they got the rock stations back on the air as quick as they could. Exactly. So there's a New York Times story over the weekend on the Raiders and over the past a little bit more than a year, 13, 14 months, the Raiders have had a ton of turnover in their front office. They had Mark Bedane, the president gone club controller and CFO gone. And then most recently they had Jeremy Aguero, a guy they had just hired like less than a year ago, gone. And then Dan Ventrell, who was the interim or maybe full-time president, uh, uh, depends on who you ask, he got fired as well. Um, the only thing Mark Davis had said was that they overpaid some taxes, but there was very clearly something going on and probably something more than simply paying too much in taxes. The New York Times talked to over a dozen former employees of the Raiders and got a lot of information, a lot of stories here. One of them, one of the funny ones being that when they moved to Las Vegas, uh, they forgot to pay their electric bill at one point and the power was shut off. But that was uh, the funny part. Yes, that was that was that one was of like, the funny ones. No. Uh, the, uh, we'll do the two I mean, funny that ones. Funny. That one was funny. And the other one that I thought was hilarious was that after Mark Bedane left, they had John Gruden come in and give a speech to some of the business side employees to try to pump them up about working for Dan Ventrell, which has got to be like, imagine you're an accountant and your boss, like you're like the four people above you in the company just left the CFO, the club controller, the president all gone. And John Gruden comes in to give you like a, let's do this for the Raiders boys. Like, I think I might quit on the spot. If John Gruden came to pump me up about using Microsoft Excel for eight hours a day, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't need John Gruden in here. So they had John Gruden give a speech to the front office people that were still left 
after Mark Bedane was gone. But let's go through some of these. Here's one of the more uh, overarching ones, more more general. That here. we're that's reported. Yes, that's reported. Uh, Mark Davis did not pay attention to day to day operations when the team was in Oakland. Several former employees who spoke to the Times said that Davis was rarely seen around the office. There was little oversight of expenses, employees said, and money was often dispersed without a clear accounting of where it was going. That apparently changed when they moved to Vegas and led to Mark Bedane's departure. By some accounts, Davis began to take a closer look at the inner workings of his team last year. Two former employees said a management consulting firm was brought in to assess the organizational structure, and while it is not known precisely what Davis found, several top executives were soon gone. So that's the overarching theme. Do you believe that Mark Davis, who owned the team for, what was it, about seven years before they moved to Vegas after his father passed, do you believe he just did not pay attention at all for like seven or eight that. years until they moved I don't believe that for here? seven or eight years he didn't pay attention to anything. That he just let it. Mark Bedane no. and everybody else do whatever they want. Well, I think he put a lot of trust in Mark Bedane. They've been friends for since they were kids. Uh, so I think there was a lot of trust there and probably... You know, again, when it came to the oversight of the expenses, Mark Bedane was the president. It fell on him. I get that. But if you tell me for seven, eight years, Mark Davis never asked any questions, like, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I have a hard time believing that, too, that he— For seven or eight years, he just did nothing? Right. I don't, I don't was just get like, that. yeah, you guys do whatever. Now, yeah. that's sort of the, the general overarching theme here. Now, there's a lot more specific accusations in here. Um, there are a couple of accusations of the Raiders not paying their employees overtime. A former employee of the Raider Image Store here in Vegas has a class action lawsuit against the Raiders for not being paid properly. From the New York Times story, workers were systematically underpaid, prompting lawsuits that have resulted in the Raiders paying more than a million dollars in settlements. Back in 2017, the Raiders settled a lawsuit with dozens of former cheerleaders who accused them of paying them less than the minimum wage uh, from 2010 to 2013. The team paid $1.25 million to the women to pay them the equivalent of minimum wage. They're also accused of mistreating cheerleaders. Nicole Reeder, who's a former Raiders employee, sued the team on behalf of herself and other game day employees, accusing the team of violating labor laws by denying them required rest and meal breaks and not paying wages on time. They had a suit that settled for $325,000. So you've got multiple instances here of either not paying overtime or not giving the proper breaks or underpaying their employees. There is also a scout. Brady Kaplan worked as a scout for 12 years. He sued the Raiders in 2019 because in his lawsuit, he said he was demoted after telling the team he and his wife were expecting a child during the football season. He said that after he expressed concerns about balancing his football and family responsibilities and after he requested family leave, he was fired. Uh, You also have this same thing in a more general sense. Employees who raised concerns over the team's operations were often ignored or pushed out and given settlements and non-disclosure agreements to keep them quiet. Nicole Adams, who worked in HR for five years, said if anyone complained, they were let go. Uh, Nicole Adams declined to sign a severance agreement because it would have required an NDA as well. So what happened with the Brady Kaplan lawsuit? It didn't say Uh, it was settled out of court. 
So that it did not have a conclusion in court. They settled whatever. I, I assume the team paid him whatever amount and he was like, all right, that's good enough for me. So let, I'll ask you this as a general question. How big of a deal do you think all of this is? Um, I don't know what you thought. First of all, underpaid and overworked. Hello. Um, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people in companies and that's a lot of people anywhere. But um, I, I want to... I'll throw it back to you because I read it four or five times. I read every I read the story four or five times. Why did I not think there was a ton of meat on the bone? It felt like it was missing something. The, yeah, the entire it, story it, felt, it like, felt it like it was missing, missing something. something. For because, nine months of investigative work. So here's here's what my main takeaway from it was is none of this stuff is like particularly good for the Raiders, right? Like you don't want to have underpaid sound employees good. not right. paying electric bills, like all that. But if you told me like the Raiders had all these issues or any company had all these issues over a decade, I'd be like, eh, there's probably something a little wrong, but it's, uh, it, it's going to happen. Like you're going to have people that screw up and people that get mistreated. But what feels like there's something missing is that you have all these complaints and then you have just a complete turnover in the front office. And I did not read this and say, okay, all of that would lead to Mark Bedane, the president, the club controller, the CFO, like three other front office people gone, and then a year later, the next president gone again. Like there is something missing between everything in this New York Times story and why the entire front office has been overturned. I, there, there's got to be something missing because those two things don't make sense to me. Those right. two things, like that does not add up to everyone being gone. And so I, I feel like there is something missing in this story that maybe uh, maybe it like shines a good light on Mark Davis. That like he came in and he's the one stopping whatever the hell was going on. Or maybe it shines very poorly on Mark Davis and there's more to this that makes it look even worse. It just, it feels like there's something missing. Yeah, that's what I, I walked away four or five times and I thought a lot of it's kind of interesting to read and um, you know, I, I'm glad Nicole Adams was quoted because that makes stories better when you actually quote people and it's not, well, you know, we talked to 12 people and this is what they said and we're not going to name any of the people, but this is what they said. I'm not, I'm not doubting the reporting. I don't know who the reporters were, but they did spend nine months on it. I just walked away feeling exactly like you did. And I read it a lot and I'm like, ah, what else is there here? Right. I, right. I didn't, I just... There isn't the moment where you go, oh, the owner was sending pictures of his cheerleaders to his buddies <laughs> and then sequestering them on an island with season ticket holders. Yes. Like, there's not that moment of, oh, dear God, that's gross. It's no. more, well, I bet if we did this sort of thing with Google, we'd find basically the same yeah. labor yeah. violations because this is America. So, I, again... I don't know exactly what to do with all of this because it's it's not a good story for the Raiders. Oh, of course not. By any means. No. These are not good things. This is this is bad, but it doesn't jump out as a this is a, you know, horribly run organization, but having your entire business side of the company turn over, we're going to have it turn over twice in less than 2 years basically. That that does jump out is there something really wrong? It just wasn't in this story. So I I don't know what exactly to do with it because it it feels like it it feels like it might be the tip of the iceberg and there's a whole lot more that might come out and we're like, oh wow, this is terrible. Or it's like, oh, that 
that was it. Like, okay, well, pay your people overtime. Don't fire the guy because he's having a baby and pay your electric bills. And you're good. Like, those are pretty fixable problems. And when you have I a business pay. meeting, don't rehire John Gruden <laughs> so you can come in and talk to people. I can't get over that. I wanted to see, like, like pacing back and forth like he does and getting, you know, getting Knock all on wood if you're with me. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like, we're. We're at a desk. He totally <laughs> said that in that meeting too. He one hundred percent knock on said knock on wood if you're with me. You think so? Oh, one hundred percent. There's no doubt in my mind. Talking to these poor accountants who just want to go type into Microsoft Excel and learn some new formula they can put in, and he's like, knock on wood if you're with me. Oh, <laughs> like, there's, uh, there's there's no doubt. Uh, there was one guy who never got picked in gym class who was just like, yeah, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Who? That's another, I think, important question. Was that Mark Davis's idea? Mark Bedane's gone. He's got Dan Ventrell. Might have been Dan Ventrell's idea. And he says, "You know what? You know what the the company, the business side of the Raiders needs? Johnny Gruden. Chucky. We need some. We need Get some in energy here. in here. Yeah. We need somebody to it rally might the been, troops. Might have been Dan Ventrell. <laughs> might have been his idea to throw him in there. Get in here and pump everybody up. And do you think John Gruden did that? Like. Like, oh, hell yeah, this is great. I want to oh, pump everybody. You think so? I bet he, I, he likes to pump people okay. up. He, he, was he likes to fire people up. He likes I, to fire people up. I will also say I think that before certain emails came to light, while he was doing the ESPN thing, I bet you could hire John Gruden to come talk to your sales <laughs> oh, yeah. team. Oh, as an inspirational ta- speaker? I bet, I bet you could have. Did he do this with the ESPN production crew before uh, Monday Night Football? He walks into the little TV truck and there's some intern trying to get a package together and he just starts trying to fire him up. Knock like, we're gonna have, wood if you're with we're me. We're going to have the best broadcast we've ever had. <laughs> Knock on wood if you're with me. It's incredible. All right, coming up next, we'll finally get into the weekend of Game 7. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Grant Williams. 27 points. The first time he has ever led the Boston Celtics in scoring in a game. Came in game seven of the second round to knock out the defending champs and Giannis. He took 17 threes in that game and hit seven of them. I think his high before that was nine threes. I think that's what Van Gundy said. I think it was nine threes before that and he He, took 17. He did shoot over 40%. From three in the regular season, but not when he was shooting 17 threes in a single game, Boston as a team, this, this is as simple of a game to to, to tell you why one team won and one team lost Boston hit 25 of 55 threes. Milwaukee hit four of 33. (sighs) That's 40% to 12% from three 33. That is 21 more made three-pointers in the game. 63 more points from the three-point line in a single game. Shocking they didn't win by more. Right. You're like, wow, Bucks played pretty well aside from that whole onslaught from three-point range. Um, all right, so here's a question for Jeez. you on this game. How much blame does Milwaukee's defense deserve for that? Well, I think they deserve some blame, but when you're going to get... But, I mean, when you have... Grant Williams shooting 17 threes and making as many. I mean, I don't I don't know if that was the first thing on the scouting report I mean, when they put the when they put the uh the scout up on the board. When your defense is called poop on a shoe, 
That's the, I mean, you were doing your best out there. So the Bucks in the regular season gave up 20 open threes per game. And NBA, they track closest defender to the shot. Open three is defined as the closest defender is six feet away or farther. Bucks gave up 20 of those a game. That's their defense. Their defense is you're not getting layups against the Bucks. You're going to get threes. You'll get mid-range jumpers, too, if you want those. But you're not getting layups against the Bucks, And in return, you're going to get some open threes, more than anybody in the league, actually. But the Bucks have been very good defensively mm-hmm. for a long time, and they've been doing this for a long time. Hell, right, as of right now, today, even after getting eliminated yesterday, the Bucs still have the best defensive rating of any team in the playoffs so far. So it's a strategy that has clearly worked. They won a title doing it last season, but it clearly is the reason they lost yesterday because their defense says, all right, Tatum and Jalen Brown are not getting layups against us. Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard are going to get some open threes and they hit like all of them. So it's a, it's a tough thing to, I think, analyze because it's clearly the reason they lost. But it's also been a big reason. Well, it's why also the reason they got there and they won a title, right? And I don't know how much blame should actually be thrown at Mike Budenholzer or the Bucks defense for that. I think that's just a game seven variant. I, I mean, think it's Grant Williams, right? And I, I yeah. think, in all seriousness, if we're, if there's any blame to go around, it's the Bucks needed to close that out in game six. Yes, because when it, when it goes to game seven. Right, like when we do, when we compare like the NCAA tournament to the NBA playoffs, right? The NCAA tournament, you get a lot of one-game sample sizes. That's why there's upsets, and and a lot of it is this three-point shooting. Some right. teams will go on, will just get hot from three for a game, and the other team will shoot like the Bucks did last night and go four for whatever that was, thirty-three. But when you play a seven-game series, the idea is okay, that'll happen once or twice, but the better team's still going to win. The Bucks had a lead. In game six, at home, couldn't finish that game out. And that is where I think mm-hmm. most of the blame yeah. goes for this. Um, what about Giannis? He shot four well, of 16 in the second half of game seven. It wouldn't have mattered given how many threes Boston was making. But he definitely did not step up offensively in the second half. To where even If Boston makes 30% of its threes, they still win that game pretty convincingly because Giannis didn't do anything on offense the entire time. I mean, it's obviously too simple a cliche to say they're not there with him anyway. Oh, oh yeah. He so, was the first first player ever to have 200 points, 100 yeah. rebounds, and 50 assists in a playoff series. Right. <laughs> so I think, I think Middleton hurt. Yes. I think Middleton hurt a lot without having him. They offensively struggled the entirety of the series. Giannis was not super efficient. High volume to get the numbers that he got. But Drew Holiday was not held. Drew Holiday had his best game in game seven, actually. But Drew Holiday was not very good throughout the course of this right. series, right? He was solid defensively, but he could not knock down shots. And outside of that, they didn't really have another good option offensively. And that's where Chris Middleton would have knocked Drew Holiday down to third on the pecking order and probably would have had a good enough game somewhere along the line that they win this series. Maybe the home game in game six. Right. And I, I think that's probably the biggest difference maker. In this entire series. Now, four teams left in the NBA playoffs. Celtics the best one. I, and this is sad because I have hated them their whole lives. But I don't want Golden State to win, so I want the Celtics to win. So I'm going to say yes. So you're going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Not because you necessarily well, think they Well, no, the best team better. left in the playoffs are the Nets. 
because that's the team I pick. <laughs> but if it can't be the Nets, it's going to be the Celtics. Okay. Um, Miami. Here's here's <laughs> what I need you to help me with. Is somebody hurt for the Warriors besides Gary Payton? Well, Iguodal is hurt. Uh, their other big is hurt. But Curry's healthy. Curry's healthy. Curry. Green's healthy. Thompson's healthy. Um, because here's why I ask. 538 right now. There's, this has to be an error. 538 right now has the Mavericks as a 70% chance to win the Western Conference Finals. It's got to be an error. 70? It's got to be an error, right? There's no chance. Yeah, that has to be an error. Yeah. So they're that not. They're not. Yeah, I trust Vegas books, but before I trust seventy percent right, on that, that just has to be an error. That can't be right. It no, may, I don't even believe they'd be favored, but like no. maybe fifty-one percent. But that can't. That simply 70. cannot be right. Who's the other big that's hurt? But it's not. It doesn't. Like all the all the guards and all and Green's right. healthy, so they can roll out Curry, Thompson, Poole, Wiggins, Poole. Draymond Green. Right. All those guys are healthy, right? Right. None right. of those guys. No, none of those guys got hurt in the, in okay. the previous series. All right. It has. It has to be an error, is what I'm looking at. But. 538, which might be completely wrong at the moment. Celtics, 47% chance to win the title. The best odds in the uh, left of the four teams. I think they I think they just won the NBA title by winning game seven. I think that was the series that was going to determine who wins the NBA championship. And I think Boston's going to go on and win it because how, I mean, I don't think they're, I don't think Miami's going to beat Boston. And then now you get to the finals, I guess. I guess if Luka Doncic does what he did the last two games, the rest of the way, Maybe, but I, I think it's Boston. I think we're about to see the Celtics well, win a title, and I think we're about to start having conversations about Jason Tatum and how how high in the league should he be ranked because I think he's about to sort of have his ascension to the top. I mean, you're not going to like this hot take, but if Grant Williams keeps scoring 27 a game, they're going to win the title. They might not lose two games the rest of the way. Two? They won't lose any. I mean, if that guy keeps scoring 27, they keep it in 25 threes a game. Unbelievable. I... He was good. I cannot believe they hit that many threes in the game. Because the other part about the Bucks defense here is I would not if I was Mike Budenholzer, I would not have made any like significant adjustments to run well, them off the three you? point line. Because I would have been like, okay, they're gonna start missing eventually. Right. Pritchard is not gonna keep right. hitting those corner threes. I would have been like, okay, they're they're not going to hit 25 threes. So I in all seriousness, I would not have made a significant adjustment because it, if I'm Mike Budenholz, obviously when it gets to like 25 points in the, it's over at that point in the second half. But like at halftime, they were down what five or something like that. I would have been like, all right, the way we win this game is we don't let Tatum and Brown get to the rim, right. and those guys are not going to make every single three they throw up, and we're going to finally start scoring. They never started scoring either. But I would, it's. Unbelievable shooting performance by Boston. Can you imagine their response on the bench and in the locker room about Grant Williams? Like, who's that guy? <laughs> Where'd he come from? And again, he sh- he shot well from three in the regular season, but he not was like seventeen good, on but, but the volume yeah. is just insane. And when both he and Peyton Pritchard took off the dribble, step back threes in that yes, game at and one made point. Him. Right, it was a lot of them were open catch and shoot, but they were so unbelievably on fire that the two. Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams are like, yep, step back three. Here it comes, boys. Like, unbelievable. I still cannot get over that performance. All right, coming up next, Q joins the show. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from Raider Nation Radio, it's Q. You can hear him on Unnecessary Roughness over on Raider Nation Radio. Good morning, Q. How are you today? 
Hey, how you guys doing, man? Appreciate you guys having me on this morning. Right. Before we get to any Raiders, who's the best team left in the NBA playoffs? Man, that's a great question, isn't it? Man, because going into the playoffs, I thought the two best teams were the Suns and the Bucks. Well, I wake up today and they're both out. <laughs> so, uh, great question. But the Dallas Mavericks, how impressive was that? That whooping that they put on Phoenix and then Boston, man. They're just they're playing they're playing like a team that's on a mission, man. It, it really the, the champion could come out the East. I mean, it really. I think that's where everyone's leaning. I'm a Warrior fan, so I'm still going to ride with them, but. I'm not feeling good and confident about that bet at all. Okay. I think it's going to be the Celtics. Ed, for some reason, despises the Warriors and hopes yes. that it's just not the Warriors. I just hope anybody wins. <laughs> I, I more, more so their fan base. More so their, their cheese and wine and very arrogant cheese fan base. Yes. Up in the Bay Area. Up in the Bay Area with their new. Yeah. That's not how we get down with, the with their new not arena, the those San Francisco <laughs> new arena people. Back back when it was in Oakland, man, with the rats in the in in the uh, in the uh, walls, I really yeah. liked them. But now that they're in San Francisco with the cheese and wine people, I'm not so sure. Wait, uh, rats and possums. <laughs> Q, uh, did you know this is the first time the Warriors and Mavericks are playing since the We Believe Warriors upset the Mavericks in the first round? Wow, I didn't realize that, but that's a great point. That is a great point. I remember that one. That was the old Baron Davis team, yes. right? To slam it down on the on the Mavs and uh, and pull his shirt up. And yeah, man, Avery Johnson was the coach of the Mavs. That's right. I remember that one. That was a heck of a series. Oh, I'm glad you brought that one up. I like that. All right. <laughs> New York Times had a story over the weekend on the Raiders where there's former employees accusing the Raiders of you know not paying overtime. There have been a lot of settlements to former employees about not paying overtime or not getting meal breaks, a certain scout that uh, claimed he was fired because he was having a kid and wanted to spend more time with his family. A lot of accusations in there, including not paying electrical bills. What was your biggest takeaway from that story? You know, I just felt like, well, here's, here we go again. Here's another story that's coming out and making the organization not look very good. You know, and it, it looked to me when I read that, and I read it multiple times just to try to get a different uh, you know, like I read it and then I wanted to soak in and then I wanted to read it again for something that I might have missed. And I just feel like there's so much that was going on that was probably right under Mark Davis's nose, but he wasn't, to me, it felt like he wasn't really running the organization as far as like, you know, all, all over it. He wasn't really attention to detail, let's put it like that. And there was a lot of stuff going on right under his nose that he wasn't aware of. And uh, I don't know if all this has to come to light. I don't know how much of it was his doing as well. Uh, but then at the same time, it just feels like there's, there was so much going on and almost like a free-for-all, like guys are just doing whatever they want to do and, and employees doing whatever they want to do. It's not like they were just kind of spending money because that's what they could do because, well, the owner's not around to stop you. It just, it just seemed like it was a lot of uh, chaos going on uh, within those walls, and I don't know how much it, it's under control now or if, it's, or if they're trying to get it under control now. I don't know what that scenario is, but, man, it just seems like a lot of, uh, organized chaos going on in that organization. We both felt that there was something missing. Um, I said, like, you know, was there enough meat on the bone in this story? Um, this seems to be, it's not a good look, obviously. This isn't a good look at all. Right. Just like Ventrell wasn't a good look. There has, there's has, there been a lot of not good looks. But did you think there was something missing to the point of, if you took the Raiders out of the equation, not to say this is correct, right or anything, this could have been, you know, any company in America. Oh, yeah. No, th th that's, a, that's a fact. You know, I mean, it, this, this to me didn't feel like it was just a Raiders problem. It feels like it's just a, a, a organizational problem. And, you know, the funny thing is the radio station I used to work at in Central Texas, the owner 
was very hands-on until he wasn't. And so when he wasn't hands-on, then everyone just kind of did their own thing. And that's what I kind of feel like in this situation. And, you know, it's funny because in that, that, that article, uh, Ventrelli didn't even sound good, right? I mean, it sounded like he was, he was kind of uh, one of the, the issues in the building as well. And then, of course, we know what his accusations were towards the organization of Mark Davis, and it made it sound like he was the guy that was trying to correct everything. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like okay, who was the problem or was everybody a part of the problem? It just seemed like there was a whole lot going on. All right. I want you to, to try to envision yourself in a different job. You're an accountant. You work for the Raiders. And one week... Everybody above you, Mark Bedane, the club controller, the CFO, are all gone. And in comes John Gruden to give you a pep talk about how you guys got to work hard for the team. How are you responding to John Gruden uh, pumping you up before you go hit Microsoft Excel for eight hours that day? Oh, man, I'm, I'm laughing my tail off. You know, I'm just, I, that's all I'm doing is laughing. I'm sending text messages like, you guys won't believe what's going on right now. The the football coach is telling us what's going to go on on the business side of things. And, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it seemed like, right? Reading that, that piece and having him uh, and them saying that about him, I, I, that's kind of what made me – I kind of laughed when I was reading it. I was thinking, are you kidding me? Like, that was the guy that came in to save the day was, was John Gruden. And, and that kind of made me go back to my theory of Mark Davis wasn't really that hands-on. I feel like he was kind of wheeling and dealing all around town, doing whatever he had to do, handling his business with the aces and being more of a face instead of – being like the the hands-on type guy and, and having more control and know-how and what or what's going on in the building, especially when you have to also rely on John Gruden to do the the pep rally. That's yeah, that was pretty bizarre. Are you laughing more at that, or say you know you're you're a solid worker, you're there late at night, and it's a ten-hour day and the lights go out? <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's you know <laughs> that's uh, that's that's pretty funny too, and and you know I think that happens. It's, it's hilarious, but I think that happens more often than than we yes. really know. Did you have a hot take from the schedule? Is the end of the season going to be too difficult for them to actually make the playoffs? Man, I think the end of the season is going to be what's going to determine if they make the playoffs or not. You know, I mean, I know that uh, all the sports books have them at around, what, eight and a half wins, and, and I just think that they, they've got to find a way to win double-digit games, you know. So I'm excited about the end of the season. It's going to be a juggernaut. Uh, man, all those teams are tough. That, that, well, that month of December is going to be just an animal, but those last two games of the regular season at home, you want to talk about, as long as they're a good team, as long as they're a good team and they're, you know, winning, have a chance at the playoffs towards the end, that's all you could ask for. Those last two games between the Niners and then the Chiefs at home, man, that, that could be electric. We saw what it was last season when it was the Chargers for the last game. Both of those games at Allegiant Stadium, very possibly one of those two could be flexed and be a primetime game, depending on what they're doing, but it's all up to them. They've got to go out there and be a good team, and that's obviously to be determined. I mean, in the beginning, they also have three of the first four against AFC West teams. That could be decided pretty quickly if they don't get off the uh, things the right way also. Yeah, and that's what they, you know, remember last season, they didn't have AFC West games immediately, but remember they had so many AFC games, and I thought that that was important that they kind of got their foot down and, and kind of got things rolling in the AFC. So, yeah, the AFC West is going to let you know early 
what they're going to do in the first five games. They got the three AFC West games, so you know you're going to you're going to find out a, a lot about this team. And then I think they're lucky because after that Chiefs game, and then they go on the bye, they don't have another division game for a while. So it's almost like oh, to the bye, you know what you're doing wrong, you know how you know you've got to correct this thing or whatever, and then then they have a little bit of time to try to to try to get things right and, and try to get things turned around. So it's going to be an interesting season. That, that schedule didn't do them any favors, but we all knew that going into the year that it was going to be a really tough schedule. So we'll see. We'll see what they got to do, man. McDaniels and company got their work cut out for them. It is May 16th. Uh, is the five starting offensive linemen for week one currently on the roster? Um, I... I'm going to say no because I still don't believe the right tackle has been determined. I, so I, I'm going to say no. I think that they still need to go out and make a move for a better right tackle. I know that people are excited about the guys that they picked up in the draft. Uh, Dylan Parham, you know, that's to, to be exact. So he might be a center or a guard, and maybe they try Leatherwood back at tackle. But I don't believe in, in Leatherwood as a tackle. Uh, I think that best he's going to be a good guard if he can turn things around and not have the boneheaded mistakes that he made a year ago. So, no, I think that they need a veteran uh, offensive lineman. I think they need a tackle at that right spot. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to say no. <laughs> Were you surprised they moved on from Edwards? No, not really. I thought maybe they'd give him another year, but, uh, you know, what has he done? You know, what has he done except for be uh, really pumped up by John Gruden saying that he's T.O. and Randy Moss, and then he's got 45 career catches, you know? And uh, the one thing I can say good about Brian Edwards is that he was clutching overtime for the Raiders, but he just wasn't <laughs> yeah. clutched the rest of the time. You know, I mean, overtime is great, I guess, but he just wasn't – he didn't develop, man. He's got size. He's got hands. He's got good enough speed. Just something just didn't click for him. So, you know, good luck to him in Atlanta. But I think the Raiders being able to get a fifth round in return for him, I thought that was pretty good because he really hasn't shown that he could do anything. Maybe he was an accountant. <laughs> John Gruden, John Gruden was firing him up. Maybe he's like, was uh, that's why he didn't do well on the field. He had two jobs over at that place. Cute. True or false, when John Gruden talked to the accountants or whoever he was, did he say, knock on wood if you're with me? Oh, oh, true. 100% true. 100% true. And then so. He probably did it multiple times because they had no idea what he was talking about to begin with. Well, oh, my gosh. You can hear him over on Raider Nation Radio on Unnecessary Roughness from 2 to 4 every day. Q, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Q. All right, thanks. Appreciate you guys having me on. So there is Q again. Unnecessary roughness over on Raider Nation Radio from 2 to 4 every day. Um, yep, knock on what maybe John Gruden. Do you think he drafted players depending on how hard they knocked on wood when he said that to them? Well, not in 2020. Well, maybe that maybe all those guys actually, did. May, actually maybe those guys did. that was the only thing they did well was they knocked on the wood really aggressively. He broke a tape, right? They're like, we got to take it. We got to draft this guy. He knocked so hard he broke the whole table. It's great. All right, coming up next, we'll jump back in to the weekend of Game Sevens. Sports live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This is the press box with Grainy and Bischoff. Dallas and Calgary last night, the last game seven of the weekend. Can I tell you why I thought it was both awesome and terrible? Well, please do, because I was watching something else. So, (laughs) so I was watching last week tonight. Calgary (laughs) dominated this game. Shots were 60 something to 20 something, right? Calgary was unbelievably good. Game was tied at two at the end of regulation. They had to go into overtime. And Calgary ended up winning 
in overtime with like 40 more shots than Dallas. The reason that hockey is both awesome and terrible, it's awesome because as a sport, it manufactures close games. There's very few scoring chances. Goals go in in the weirdest way possible. Hockey is very dumb, right? Like it manufactures drama so that even when there is a blowout, when one team is significantly better than the other, there's still a good chance the actual score is close. And Calgary, despite dominating that game, they were one bad bounce in overtime away from losing and, and going home. That's why hockey's awesome because almost every game you play is going to be close. But hockey's also terrible because Calgary dominated Dallas yesterday and almost got eliminated despite that dominating. And the whole point of sports, like we have arbitrary rules to decide who's better at a certain sport, but the whole point of sports is to figure out who's better, what team is better at this certain sport. And Calgary last night was significantly better than Dallas and almost went home. And if your sport is going to be that arbitrary that even if you dominate, you still can lose, your sport's kind of stupid. <laughs> well, you hate this sport at times. It will... It's it's awesome because here's the, we had two game sevens in the NBA yesterday and both sucked. Well, yeah, the games yeah. the game sucked, but the te- the teams that were better won. Right, both were complete blowouts. Right. There was no like real entertainment factor unless you love watching Grant Williams knock down threes. Right, that was it. So hockey, the way the sport is constructed, we don't really get that very often. You're not getting very many blowouts in game sevens of hockey because there's not many blowouts in hockey, period. Look at the scores over the weekend. Right. So it's a very good thing about hockey, but it's also kind of stupid because you're like, well, what are we doing here? Like, why why should I even try to build a good hockey team if I can just kind of suck and still have a chance to win games? So that's why hockey is both great and awesome. What does that say for the Knights who didn't even make the playoffs? <laughs> Ouch. The injuries, Ed. Just, uh, just the 500 injuries. 500 games lost. Only the injuries there. It's 500 games lost. Uh, I have a question for you on the Maple Leafs, too. Oh. So the Maple Leafs lose game seven at home to Again. Tampa Bay. The Maple Leafs have not won a playoff series since 2004. The Maple Leafs have lost 10 straight games in which they could clinch a postseason series. 10 Straight games. They have made the playoffs six straight seasons and have not won a postseason series in those six years. But here's what I found interesting following the loss to uh, to Tampa. So many people were coming out and saying the Maple Leafs have to keep everything together. The Maple Leafs cannot blow up the front office. They cannot blow up the coaching staff. They cannot blow up the roster. The Maple Leafs have to keep it together. I found that fascinating because they were good in the regular season, but they've been good in the regular season before, but they lost again in the postseason. They lost another. They had a 3-1 series lead. Right. They had had multiple chances to close this series out and could not do it. I found it fascinating how many people came out and said, Toronto needs to keep everything together and it'll work out next year. Well, is it because they are so good in the regular season? They just hope eventually they get over the hump. I guess. I, mean, I think that's the only reason that you would say something like that. I guess. All the Tampa, all the Tampa players saying it. Here's the thing. I don't I don't disagree with the idea that Toronto should keep it together because, like I just said, hockey's kind of dumb and you can be really good. And, and they're really talented. And lose. But I just find it fascinating because we have 
So in, in all of our sports, when you fail in the postseason, there's always serious conversations about, well, what do you need to change? What do you need you to fail blow in the regular season? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So like, I just found it fascinating that so many people were like, Toronto can't do anything drastic. They've got to keep this together despite losing in the first round. And hell, there were people yesterday. It was um, Kevin O'Connor was tweeting about the Bucs being like, the Bucs have got to do something this offseason. He's like, they might need to make some significant changes. Like, they just won the title 12 <laughs> months ago and they didn't have Chris Middleton and almost beat the Celtics. Like, we do that every time when somebody loses, except for whatever reason. The Toronto Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs lost, and everybody's like, ah, good team. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. It'll be okay. And I don't think people are wrong. I just found that a fascinating – that's the opposite of what we normally do. Yeah. Teams, will, teams will lose in the championship and we'll be like, oh, sure. Don't know yeah. if they're good enough. Yeah. Don't know if they can do it. It's like they, they well, were they, like, what was the uh, when the Knights didn't make it this year? Um, the one of the uh, party lines out there was, "Hey, because we're saying like, what changes are you gonna make? Hey, Stanley Cup champions make changes. Never mind us who didn't make the playoffs. Of course, there has to be changes. You know, if Tampa wins it again, they'll make changes. I don't know how many they'll make, but that was the whole line. They can't out win there. it again, right? I can't bet against they're those underdogs. Guys. Can against you really Florida. bet against them? They're, they're underdogs in the series against. Florida. Weren't they dogs against Tampa? Yeah, or to Toronto. And they're yes. down. Excuse me, I'm sorry, Toronto, yeah. and they're down three one in the yeah. series. Yeah, they can't I, do it I, again. I can't bet against that Cooper kid. I just can't bet uh, against him. If they I mean, win three straight in this dumb sport, unbelievable! Oh, amazing! Just, they should quit the sport. Tampa should just <laughs> be like, "All right, we're done as an organization. We're good. We won three in a row. We're we're good. That's as good as it gets." Yeah. Tampa Bay. Florida Panthers. That'll be a fun series, I think. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Let's go Panthers.